to air gap or not to air gap, and the other challenges of building Bitcoin hardware. Today, we are chatting with some of the greatest minds in Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin Audible chat. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. We've got a really fun episode today. So some of you uh, probably joined us yesterday for the Twitter Spaces debate. Um, I did not share it out in the audio notes early enough. I should have uh, given a little bit of a headway, but we had Li Xin Lu from the Keystone hardware wallet, and then Douglas Backham, who we who we have had on the show uh, from Bitbox, or well, from Shift Crypto, um, but they built the Bitbox. Uh, but if you missed it, you will not any longer. These two monsters go head-to-head in a vicious, gruesome battle to the death. Insults were thrown, dunks were made, tables were broken in this intense, yet mostly agreeable debate between two builders of some... Uh, really incredible hardware in the Bitcoin space. So this was actually a really great discussion on basically the challenges of hardware wallets, of trying to build out hardware wallets, where the real security issues are, and of course the security implications and or trade-offs of air gapping. And just in case air gapping just means that the, the device itself never actually plugs into the computer. For all intents and purposes, that's essentially what it means. But I think some of the best parts of discussion for me were literally just in talking about the where and the why of how most people lose their Bitcoin and what to do about that, like like where the solutions to those problems are, because there was quite a bit of discussion on that topic. So we will jump into it in just a moment after a thanks to our amazing sponsors for keeping the lights on so that I can still work on this late at night after the sun has gone down and my laptop should be dead, but I've got power thanks to these guys. Um, First, we've got Swan Bitcoin. Uh, Buy Bitcoin easily. So easily that you only have to set it up once. I buy it. all. I've made so many purchases with Swan and I literally set it up once. Okay, well, I buy the dip. I bought the dip a lot this week, actually. But Swan Bitcoin is the place for automatic stacking every day, every week, every month and automatically withdraw to your hardware wallet like the BitBox. Our other amazing sponsor, who makes a simple and secure hardware wallet to protect your corn after you automatically purchase it, and three letters, G, U, and Y, gets you 5% off the BitBox. You shan't forget it. And then the Stack Everything card with Fold, a debit card with sats back on every single purchase. That is right, get paid for paying the bills you always do. And you get 20% off with Bitcoin Audible. And then of course, lastly, do not forget to grab your tickets for the Bitcoin 2022 conference, the greatest Bitcoin conference on this half of the Milky Way galaxy. This year is going to be freaking wild. So I will see you in April, 10% off with the code GUYSWAN. And you can get all these links and discount codes in the show notes. You want to check them out later. 
All right, with that, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into the Twitter Spaces chat we had with Lee Sheen from Keystone and Douglas Backham from Shift Crypto uh, with the Bitbox to Airgap or not to Airgap. All right. I believe I have this. Uh, I am recording this, so this will be available for anybody who misses it or has to head out. I think this is recording. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can hear you. It's just delayed. A, it's a lot delayed on my desktop, it looks like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Let's roll. This will be available on Bitcoin Audible uh, probably in the next day or two, depending on my level of uh, work ethic um, in the next 24 hours. And uh, awesome. yeah, let Thank us you. roll. We have got Licks and Lou. That is, that's how you say your last name, by the way, right? That's yeah, Lixing Lixing Gyu, actually. Lixing Gyu? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I need Lixing Gyu. No okay. <laughs> yeah. I try to be accurate, but it's, it's, it's not easy all the time. <laughs> um, and Douglas Backham. So uh, uh, Lixing, uh, I already forgot how to say it. Say it one more time. I'm going to get it. Lixing Liu. Lixing. Okay. Yeah. Lixing is, uh, you are, are you CEO of Keystone now? Yes, correct. CEO of Keystone. Okay. Formerly Kobo Vault uh, was the company that you guys were working under. Um, but the Keystone wallet, which is an air gapped, um, if anybody hasn't checked it out, uh, it's a great little wallet. Um, I have both. Uh, Douglas Backham works for Shift Crypto, um, and uh, those guys have done the Bitbox. I have both of these wallets, and we are doing a debate today on to air gap or not to air gap. What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Um, is it a huge security boost? Is it a small security boost? Is it anything really to talk about? You know, what are the dynamics here? What's the security issues? Um, because I and because uh, just for disclaimers, uh, Douglas Backham and the Bitbox crew uh, do sponsor uh, my show. But like I said, I have both of these wallets. I like both of these wallets. I'm not super picky about hardware wallets. I kind of just buy all of them and I love all of them. Um, so uh, I'm going to let these guys uh, lay out the case um, and we are going to go we're going to go from there. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to uh, our little debate here. I think I think this is going to be fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guy. Thanks a lot, Li Xin. Um, maybe I'll just start with a, a little bit of background. Um, you guys can still hear me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. So, um, yeah. So, I guess this debate started from uh, was instigated from a blog post, a blog article that we wrote uh, as our company. Um, I authored it, but it was really a collaborative effort by uh, everyone on our team. And it was questioning, yeah, what is what is airgap? What is airgap security in particular? Um, and so we, we're both hardware wallet makers. Um, I think I have a lot of respect for Li Xin and his his wallet. Um, hopefully, that's uh, <laughs> also from Li Xin's end. And I think uh, what we want to do is just more have a friendly conversation, just about. Um, about this, uh, the technology with AirGap and hardware wallets in general. Um, and so in the article, well, first of all, like what, what does AirGap mean? Um, 
Lishin can define it himself, but uh, I interpret it as basically just using a hardware wallet without plugging it into a computer or a phone. Um, traditionally, AirGap has referred to uh, computers that are not connected to the network, not connected to the internet, uh, and it kind of got um, uh, used now in hardware wallets to describe hardware wallets that do not plug in. So they communicate um, over the air uh, with QR codes or physically by micro SD cards. Um, and that's often perceived as a security advantage. Uh, but in Bitcoin, you have this thing called don't trust verify. Um, and so we actually wanted to go research this a little bit. And we did it in the past uh, prior to creating the Bitbox O2. Um, and we actually came up with, uh, like we didn't actually see so much security benefit to that. And so we researched it again, and we wrote a blog article. Um, and yeah, the, the long story short is, um, as far as security, uh, we didn't see a benefit. That's not to say there's a negative. Um, basically, we think AirGap and non-AirGap hardware wallets kind of have a similar uh, security profile. Um, but there's definitely uh, differences in um, uh, the UX and convenience. Um, and I'll stop there. I'll give Li Xin a chance to, to reply. Um, but there's a lot of details we can go in, and I guess we're happy to also open this up for um, other people for a wider discussion. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yep. <clears throat> okay. Got you. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Douglas, for organizing everything, and thank you for a uh, guy who be the host to to organize the thing. Uh, and I'm really glad to be here to have the quote-unquote debate with Douglas, but I also see that this is kind of like a uh, sharing for uh, people who who want to know more about uh, the different security assumptions between Keystone and also Bitbox, and also how do we see security? Because from my perspective, security is a very uh, complicated thing. It's not only about um, security on the technical side, but also about the security on the user experience and also trying to make people make less mistakes when they are using hardware wallets. So uh, it's very complicated. And uh, I'm thinking maybe I can share more background about why we have the idea to make a uh, air-gapped hardware wallet. Uh, uh, I think here most of the listeners know that we were, I was the head of hardware in the Kobo and I was leading the hardware wallet product line of Kobo, which is called Kobo Vault. And uh, we launched the Kobo Vault back in uh, the October of 2018. We started to develop it in the late uh, 2017. And uh, I believe I haven't done the the research very carefully, but I believe we were the first air gapped hardware wallet in the market. And um, why we did that design is because uh, when we designed the product, I interviewed a lot of Bitcoiners, and I still remember one of the most important question I asked ask them is that. Uh, what's the most anxious time when you're using a hardware wallet? At that time, most of them are using Ledger or Trezor. And uh, I think you know that both of them are uh, like USB style hardware wallet and you need to connect it to your laptop. 
So I asked a simple question to the Bitcoiners. What, what was the most anxious time when you're using your hardware wallet? Actually, the, the answer was pretty aligned. They told me that uh, they feel very safe when they are not using the hardware wallet. But when they're trying to connect their hardware wallet to the laptop through USB, the time they plug their product into the laptop is the most anxious time. They even got some like physically anxious. They told me that they are physically anxious for that moment. So I think that that was the like the trigger for us to thinking about to change the whole thing about the ex the experience of the USB. And that's why we come to the US uh, the QR code style of data transmission between your software wallet and hardware wallet. And also uh, with uh, dive with diving deeper and deeper into the QR code interaction, we feel that there's many benefits of the uh, of that uh, function. Uh, not only um, security, but also bringing more transparency user experience to the to the whole user experience to to the whole interaction. And uh, yeah, this is where we come from. And uh, until now, we're still insisting on this interaction. And also we canceled the USB port on the device, uh, which not only um, which not only give people a more secure sense about the product and also to limit some attack surfaces from the product. So yeah, this is where we come from and how we see the QR code interaction. Nice. You know, you know, I, when did you ask that, uh, a question, was this just in like a private survey or did you do this on uh, Twitter as far as like people being most nervous about plugging their, uh, like when they actually are using their hardware wallet? Uh, yeah, actually I was asking some Bitcoin OGs here in China because, uh, like Kobo, one of the Kobo's co-founder was the earliest miners here in China and he knew a lot of miners. So I just interviewed the very OG miners here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, uh, Douglas, I uh, muted you a bit ago just because, um, uh, you had a little bit of feedback, but, um, it doesn't seem to let me unmute you. Do you have that power? <laughs> Oh, that's okay. <laughs> okay, just, just just I was just making sure that I didn't like mute you permanently, and now we can't talk. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess I could reply a little bit. So that yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, Li Xin's uh, survey of the uh, the community and the feeling. So I think you know it's definitely a valid point that if you're making a product, um, and we're both for profit companies, so we want to. You know, we, we have to run a business, make some money. Uh, so addressing the needs of the market uh, for sure makes sense. Um, it's interesting in the sense that we also did a lot of user testing and uh, came to yeah a, a bit different conclusions in the sense that um, usability, like ease of use, uh, was really, really important factor. And I think especially for the non-technical people entering into the space, um, which is kind of... Uh, at least me personally, I think our company also is our motivation is to, you know, build something that's really easy for people to get involved, equip them with the tools they need, empower them, you know, for financial sovereignty. Uh, and so we're really focusing on ease of use. And I think in that sense, we found that um, not doing air gap was much simpler 
in the sense of if you just plug your hardware wallet into a phone or into a computer, you can do a lot of the, um, uh, there's a lot less user steps involved, a lot less cognitive overload, like dealing with, uh, you know, different devices and different steps and things like that. Um, and so that was kind of uh, one of the deciding factors in our decision to stick to uh, the USB going forward. And I think probably the difference there is uh, we didn't go interview Bitcoin OGs, but we actually tried to interview people who, uh, what we call the crypto curious. Um, so people who are interested in the space, uh, but yeah, don't, don't really know where to begin. Yeah, I'll say just to just to add to that is my um, and I've been in Bitcoin for a long time. So this has slowly changed over time. Like my nervousness about using hardware wallets and all this stuff has diminished greatly. Like I, I kind of do it every day now. Um, so it's normal. But my highest point of nervousness has always just been when I'm reading, if I'm sending any substantial amount of, uh, of Bitcoin when I'm reading that address and I'm like, like if I, if I am sending more than, you know, a thousand dollars, I check every single letter and number in that address and make sure that what I'm looking at on the, the address the service or the um, wallet that I have generated it on is exactly the same one on the app that I'm using. And then on the hardware device, like it is displaying that same thing. Uh, and I'll still get a little bit of a, like, Ooh, that's a lot of Bitcoin. And I'll, I'll have that little, that little ping. Um, but uh, uh, I would say probably early on, I would uh, agree a little bit with Lee Sheen there is that, or the people that uh, he interviewed was that I did uh, every time I would get out my hardware wallet, it would feel like it was safe when I wasn't using it. But then when I would get it out and start playing with it or doing a transaction or something, that was where the, the stress came back. But probably the only point where it's, it remains to this day is, in those moments where I'm about to hit send and I have to know for certain that I'm broadcasting this to the Bitcoin network. And if anything is wrong, I'm not going to have a good day. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, actually, Douglas mentioned UX. So uh, from our perspective, from our product, uh, we see that UX is part of the security. We not only see like US is separated from security, we see UX is part of the security because until now, the biggest reason for Bitcoin loss is not like you're losing your, like someone is stealing your hardware wallet and get your private key, or you get lost of the device, or you get lost of the, of the uh, recovery phase. The biggest, the biggest reason for Bitcoin loss is human error, which means that just like uh, what uh, Guy just said, for example, when you are trying to transfer some Bitcoin and you didn't check the address carefully and you send to some wrong address, wrong address and you can never retrieve that Bitcoin. So these kind of reasons are the biggest reason for Bitcoin loss. So we see if we wanted to fill that gap for the users, uh, we have to make something that has really good user experience. For example, uh, I think this is a like a side effect of the QR code interaction because if we make the QR code interaction 
it requires the product to have a bigger screen, either a touch screen or a like black uh, e-ink screen, it's okay. But it requires the product to have a bigger screen. And that results in we can have a more clear demonstration of the addresses uh, and also the fees and also maybe the change address. And in our product, we can also highlight the change address for you so that you can have some ease in your mind that, okay, this is my change address. This is not swapped by some malicious uh, software wallet or uh, in some way. So uh, I still want to emphasize that uh, UX is should be part of the security, not only technical security, but also UX security. This is very important when we are designing a hardware wallet. And also this is the biggest reason for us to have QR code and also have a bigger screen to give a better UX. So better UX, better security. Yeah. Yeah, I, f- I fully agree with that. Whoa, dropping bombs. I cannot believe that jab. How will Lee Shane respond to such aggression? We will find out after these messages. Do you stack Bitcoin manually? What are you in the Stone Age? Do you find that you realize sometimes you paid too much to stack? You used the wrong app and they took 2% in fees, sats that did not get stacked. Or maybe you forgot this week because no one reminded you. You were busy with life. You need Swan Bitcoin, the company that stacks automatically on your behalf. When you're busy with life, and not thinking about stacking sats, which should be very infrequent, but it happens, Swan is stacking for you anyway. Low fees, automatic, every day, every week, every month, whatever works best for you, you set it once and you forget about it. And they want you to hold your keys as a sovereign Bitcoiner. They will automatically send it to your keys. And they even pay for the Bitcoin fees so there is no cost to withdraw, unlike other terrible companies that rhyme with Boyne case. Have peace of mind, a helping hand from a great team, and the knowledge that no matter what happens in this psychotic world, you at least know you stacked sats with Swan Bitcoin. SwanBitcoin.com slash guy is my personal referral link that is way better than just going to the normal website because they quoted me at the top of the page, which is really cool, and my face is on it. A boom. SwanBitcoin.com slash guy. Let's jump back into the debate now that the swords have been drawn. Yeah, I, f- I fully agree with that. Um, there's a comment saying that um, complexity is the enemy of security. Uh, and so for sure, um, the UX is an extremely important aspect. And I also fully fully back up the the statement that, you know, most, what we see also um, is that most people have problems by user error, shooting themselves in the foot. Um, most common one is forgetting a password. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree about what exact uh, uh, implementation uh, to make the most simple use cases. Um, uh, but yeah, when we uh, designed our, our hardware wallet also, that was uh, one of the primary factors in terms of um, yeah, the, the user interaction, the, 
uh, I forget what the word is. Um, but yeah, how the shape and how, how it, uh, how you interact with the device, basically both physically and through the app. That was actually a question I had intended to ask. Um, but is that the case for both of you that all of the biggest issues of loss or, um, uh, you know, problems where the, you know, there's been locked out of things or their coins have gone to the wrong place. Has it just been kind of across the board human error rather than hacks or malicious, you know, desktop app or, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, phishing or whatever, like going downloading software from the wrong website and not knowing it. Um, is that, is that basically like, like what are the outside of the particular, um, uh, user error? Where are the general problems? Is it sending stuff to the wrong address because somebody has maliciously inserted one? I was just kind of curious about both y'all's experience. Yeah. Well, from, yeah. from our, um, yeah, from our end, it's, it's like the only loss of fun um we see is has been uh through uh basically losing your password or um if you're using the optional passphrase sometimes called the 25th word of your seed uh which um people forget or misspell uh and then get really surprised when they open up their wallet and they see a zero balance uh and so the the optional passphrase also something we wouldn't recommend for for new users, um, just because pe people can shoot themselves in the foot. Um, and yeah, and it's it's uh, uh, we learned this lesson I guess the hard way because the Bitbox O2 is our second hardware wallet. Uh, the Bitbox O1, um, we actually had a password encrypted um, kind of setup, a password encrypted backup also. And all of the lost funds were uh, due to people forgetting the password. Uh, and so that's why with the Bitbox O2 by default, uh, actually, yeah, uh, we, don't, we don't allow um, uh, the backup to be encrypted. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know, actually, uh, Douglas just mentioned passphrase, uh, which is the 25th word of your recovery phrase. Actually, I know a real case which um, happened on my friend uh, is about the passwords. So he just typed the wrong passwords into the device, and then he used the wrong address, which is generated by the wrong passwords, used that address to receive a big amount of uh, Bitcoin. And uh, he was, I, I should say that he was very, very care careless about that. But that's what happened. So he received lots of uh, Bitcoin address to a wrong address, and uh, his private keys were not lost. And uh, but the but the issue was that uh, he cannot reproduce that wrong passphrase. So he he then he lost all the bitcoins he transferred to the wrong address. So uh, after we know this case, we feel that we should do something on the UX side to improve uh, the, to, to make it less possible for people to make these kind of mistakes again. So on our device, on Keystone, we ask our user to type in the passphrase twice, just like when you are trying to uh, register an account on a website, uh, they always ask you to type in the password twice to make sure that these twice were aligned so there's not anything misspelled on the passphrase. So, and also our product has a bigger touch screen. 
So it makes less uh, suffering for people to type a like um, eight letters or 10 letters or even 16 letters. It's much, much easier for people to do so. So, and also we receive very good feedbacks from the community saying that, oh, this is very good. This design is very good. So, and I'm not worrying about typing the wrong passphrase again. Yeah, so I think this is a very tiny thing, but uh, this kind of tiny improvements on the UX side uh, benefits the community. And also those benefits comes from the uh, QR code and also the bigger touchscreen of the device. I'm curious. Um, uh, what do you? Uh, well, actually, Douglas, did you want to respond or add anything to that before we move on? Um, I was just going to say, "Ouch, <laughs> that hurts." Uh, hearing that story, um, but yeah, we do something similar where uh, you know, after you type in the passphrase, you have to physically confirm, like view it and physically confirm uh, to use it um, or that it's correct. But yeah, uh, I think passwords and passphrases are probably the the biggest uh, the biggest risk in the in the field at the moment. Yeah, without a doubt, and that um, uh, uh, Lishin, your your friend, uh, could also be me. Um, I uh, it's a slightly different story, but that is the way that I have lost Bitcoin in the past was exactly that. And what's funny is I still use passphrase wallets, but I treat them differently. Like like I know the damage that they can cause um, because. Uh, uh, if you use like uh, LastPass or something to generate a random 13-character password, um, and uh, and then you know your printer doesn't work and your uh, LastPass little history thing doesn't save, if you if you do it too quickly and too um, uh, recklessly, so to speak, and just kind of absent-mindedly, you can't get back can't get back into that. Um, and it was on a solid-state drive. And I, I had a unto, uh, uh, like a text edit file with the backup. It's the only one, and just hadn't thought about it in a long time. It's just like you know it was there, and you know I had my backup right. Like I, I did it. I wanted to get it on paper, and I was going to, but I got sidetracked. And you know, a few months later. You're still using dumbass Windows, and you get absolutely fed up with it one day because it won't boot right, and it's being a pain, and so you wipe it. And there goes all of them. <laughs> uh, and you yeah. can't recover anything off of SSD, man. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> also another, uh, I think it's maybe it's a very small detail about... Uh, UX and security here I want to share is that uh, we all know that a typical process, a typical process of receiving Bitcoin is that uh, first you trigger receiving Bitcoin on your software wallet, either it's on a mobile app or it's on the on your laptop, you tap uh, receive, and then the software wallet will ask you to get out your hardware wallet and connect it to the laptop. And then uh, both the hardware wallet and the software wallet will show the address to you. Uh, and then you need to make sure that those address are the same. And then you can see the QR code on the uh, software wallet and you can use that QR code to get it scanned to your friend or to somewhere else to trigger a transfer of Bitcoin on 
another software or hardware wallet. So we, we feel that this process is so complicated. And uh, just like what Douglas said, like uh, complexity is the biggest enemy for security. So we feel that this process is so complicated and uh, it makes possible for people to make mistakes. For example, uh, what if your software wallet is um, uh, is manipulated, and when the software wallet showed the uh, the address in a string form in text, it aligns with your real address on your hardware wallet. But after that, the QR code contains a malicious address. So this could be possible. And uh, what we do is that we on our device because it has a bigger touch screen. And so the device can show the receiving address of the QR code directly. And this address is totally air-gapped and offline. You don't need to trust a software wallet, a QR code on a software wallet to receive your Bitcoin, but you can easily use your hardware wallet to receive Bitcoin directly. So this is a, some people may not feel this is a big improvement, but from our perspective, this pro process significantly simplify the process of receiving Bitcoin. And uh, this kind of simplification, simplification make everything more secure, make everything less possible for a user to make a mistake. For example, he didn't check the address carefully. And uh, I don't think most of users will check the QR code if the QR code aligns with the address on the hardware wallet. So yeah, this is what we do and how we see security and how we see the improvement brought by the QR code scanning as well as the big touch screen. The, um, I'm curious what y'all think the, like what are the, outside of uh, user error, outside of the user experience, which I, I even talk about this on the show from time to time, I really do think that that is, and, Maybe that's coming from a very personal space is that like, that's where I lost Bitcoin. So like, that's what I feel is the most important because generally just when you're talking about upgrading to a hardware wallet to any decent hardware wallet, um, you're getting a thousand X security from a mobile or online, you know, wallet or whatever that you're doing for the average user. Like that's generally the major step. And from there, I feel like so much of the problem is just making it intuitive is just making it so that the process that the user isn't constantly confused during the process but going down to like security like like vulnerabilities and like someone who is attacking someone who is who is specifically singled out this person with a hardware wallet what is it about air gapped that does or does not change the attack vectors of someone being uh, singled out to try to get into or take their uh, take the coins from their device somehow. Yeah, maybe this is a, a, good, a good chance for me to, I guess, summarize um, the, the blog post that we had uh, written kind of led to this conversation. It's been a half yeah, sure. hour we've even gone into that. <laughs> but um, first of all, I would also say that, you know, hardware wallet vendors, we, we like, kind of like to poke each other every now and then. Um, and I think there's more stuff reported um, in, in social media about vulnerabilities in hardware wallets than in other types of 
wallets, software wallets, um, maybe even exchanges. Um, but like you said, Guy, uh, if you get a hardware wallet, it's a thousand X increase. And I think part of the reason for that is because, you know, we care enough to, uh, you know, poke holes and there's people out there, uh, security researchers, white hat hackers that also care enough to, to kind of poke holes. Uh, and it's just improving uh, the whole space overall. Um, and so by far, like uh, if we had a, it's almost laughable to have a conversation about security with software wallets. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that you don't hear about it so much. Um, so ju just a little side side note there. I always have to give a disclaimer that hardware wallets are cool. <laughs> um, but then <laughs> as far as um, uh, like security, when we came up with it, and, uh, I definitely want to give Lishin a chance to re reply. Um, what we found is that, you know, uh, to us, we think air gap is maybe a bit of a misnomer, um, for lack of a better word, because even with uh, an air-gapped hardware wallet, there's still communication happening. Um, but the communication is using photons in the air, like QR codes, for example, instead of electrons in a wire, like over USB. Um, and so, but there's still communication happening that has to happen because in order to send uh, Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin, you have to interact with the blockchain and the blockchain's online. And so there has to be some kind of communication going on. Um, and, in practice, when we, in our blog article, we looked at the vulnerabilities that were reported in the last uh, two years uh, and, and before then, but we listed the vulnerabilities for the last two years and we did not find any uh, vulnerabilities that were about the type of communication. Um, They're more either physical attacks, which of course would affect any hardware wallet, air gap or not, or uh, what we call logical attacks. So something in the logic of uh, forming the transaction or the logic of um, verifying a multi-signature wallet, uh, for example. And we looked at all these uh, reported vulnerabilities and these also would affect both um, wired or wireless uh, hardware wallets. Uh, and so we, we actually um, uh, didn't see you know, in practice, but and in theory, also in our in our minds, um, much of a security difference between air gap and non air gap. Of course, um, you know it's very good points about the UX and different aspects of the UX. Uh, uh, and yeah, and then there's a lot of uh, I guess um, room for experimentation uh, and room for different solutions in, in that respect. Yeah, um, I think I, I kind of agree with uh, Douglas that um, security security is very is not a very easy thing. And uh, aside from UX, uh, technical security is also very important. Um, but uh, here, I, I do want to clarify the first thing uh, in our like product design principle is that uh, security is not a zero or one thing. It's not a zero or one it's like a full spectrum and uh, there's there's no like absolute security in this world there's always like more security or less security so uh, from our perspective uh I, I should say that all the tactics that applies to uh, a usb style uh, hardware wallet could also apply to a qr code or air gapped hardware wallet the tactics are just the same, but from our perspective, from our like uh, research, 
uh, the USB style hardware wallet has a bigger attack surface, which means there are some there are some like attack cases that could ha- could easier happen on a USB style hardware wallet. Uh, for example, uh, uh, we all know that Kraken Kraken the exchange called the exchange Kraken they have a very strong security lab called Kraken Lab. And uh, they were doing different kinds of auditing stuff and also trying to break different kinds of hardware wallet. Uh, one one case they showed before was called uh, the bad ledger attack. Uh, for that attack, that they, they did the experiment on, on ledger. For that attack, when user connect uh, his ledger to a laptop, the, the, the ledger has some malicious code on the device. And uh, when the ledger was connected to the laptop, uh, because it's USB connected, so uh, the ledger could send some keystrokes to the laptop. But that keystrokes won't steal the prior keys from the ledger. But the keystrokes can trigger the laptop to open the browser, like Chrome, and then maybe open a phishing website for the users. Then the, the users may download a phishing or a malicious ledger live to get hacked. So I just want to use this case to say that nowadays the attackers are not uh, for if we go back to like 2016 or 2017, we can see that the researchers and also the hackers, they're trying to steal the prior keys from the device. But right now, as the technology develops, uh, the hackers are having really, really creative means to mediums to do the attack. For example, just like I mentioned, the bad ledger. They use the ledger to send the keystrokes to the laptop to open some phishing site to then do the attack. So hackers are having really creative attacks uh, methods to attack people. And uh, for these kind of attack methods, I feel that QR code obviously have a smaller attack surface compared to uh, the USB style hardware wallet. And also another case I want to share is that uh, one another experiment on Ledger is that the hacker can uh, put some kind of memory card, flash memory card in the Ledger and uh, send that Ledger to a user. When the user plug the Ledger into the laptop, the laptop can open a um, folder so that the ledger can work can work as a USB drive, and uh, the laptop can automatically open a folder which contains a malicious ledger live to ask the user to install that and uh, steal the Bitcoin from the user. So there are lots of creative ways to attack people, and uh, obviously QR code has a smaller attack surface compared to USB. And uh, I just want to emphasize again. Uh, QR code cannot completely close some kind of attack um, tactics compared to USB style, but it has smaller surface if we look into some specific cases like the bad ledger or something like that. So that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's a place we can debate. <laughs> so, um, Oh, here he comes. The tables are flipped and the swords are drawn. It's about to get bloody. But let's break for just a moment and listen to this paid message from our sponsor, 
supplier of my breakfast and coffee. And that is none other than the best Bitcoin conference in the galaxy. Do you want to go to a city that is literally conquered by Bitcoiners? That will be Miami, Florida in the first week of April 2021. It is going to be lit. Bukele, present. Michael Saylor, present. Jack Mallers, present. Guy Swan, present. Seyfedean, Adam Back, Elizabeth Stark, Preston Pish, Vijay Boyapati, Andrew Yang, Joe G Jorgensen, Alex Gladstein, Jimmy Song, Jeff Booth, MVK, Odell Demeester, Foss, Killeen, so many Bitcoiners, you will lose your mind. Meet everyone at the Bitcoin conference where history is made. Bitcoin 2022, plus the incredible art gallery, so many lightning games, a literal music festival, 35,000 people who all hate fiat money in the same place, minus the handful of government spooks in the audience. You don't want to miss this year. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be amazing. And you also don't want to miss 10% off your tickets with code GUYSWAN, G-U-Y-S-W-A-N-N. That gets you 10% off and you can go straight to the website through my link, guyswan.com slash 2022. Uh, it's right there in the show notes, so you can just click on it. Don't wait to get your tickets because prices will go up and I will see you there. With that, let's jump back into the chat. Okay, here, here's a place we can debate. <laughs> so um, just to to address that, uh, yeah, oftentimes, uh, and I think cold card really pushed this a lot, is that USB has a, a broader attack surface. Um, this is something I would disagree with uh, in the sense that, first of all, um, uh, well, I guess there's two aspects to it, one coming from the hardware wallet itself towards the computer and the other from the computer towards the hardware wallet. Um, but any hardware wallet, uh, by its nature, uh, must assume that the computer or the phone it interacts with is compromised. Um, otherwise, there's no point to using a hardware wallet. You can just use a software wallet and not, not spend 100 bucks. Um, and, and so like the USB stack on the computer, uh, I would say it doesn't apply. Uh, and then specifically to um, the cases by Kraken, uh, the actual vulnerability was uh, an exploit in order to reprogram uh, the firmware. And I would say if you can reprogram the firmware, you can reprogram it to basically do anything you want. And so if a hardware wallet happens to have USB, then you can use those uh, hardware aspects in, in some way. Uh, but there's much, much easier ways to uh, steal funds, uh, steal private keys, if you have control of the firmware itself. And uh, that is as simple as just leaking the private keys through uh, signatures, uh, which you can do uh, something called um, um, like a deterministic K, or it gets into the cryptography. But basically, if you control this random number and it's not actually random when you're doing signatures, um, you can siphon off uh, people's funds. And this was the, the famous Sony PlayStation hack uh, a number of years ago, um, where people were able to uh, access the the secrets that way. Um, and so I would say um, in that sense, uh, I think 
it's different. Uh, I would say though that um, the the issue of like the USB device itself or the hardware wallet itself attacking um, the customer, I, I think it doesn't really apply in terms of stealing funds, stealing private keys, because there's much easier ways to do it that affect all hardware wallets. Um, but uh, doing something to the computer itself, like um, you know, stealing uh, data files on the computer, or you know, uh, locking up the computer, or um, uh, doing things like this, I would say that would be a, a valid issue. Um, and the the issue there is uh, more so with uh, supply chain attacks, or what are called evil made attacks, also where someone replaces your hardware wallet with a malicious device, either in the supply chain or an evil maid in the hotel room switches it out. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the attack then against um, um, the user's uh, personal data on the computer or phone can come into issue. Uh, I think a lot of the hardware wallets now, these days, how they address that is through um, attestation keys. So attestation, uh, that basically means it's a way to um, uh, have a guarantee about the authenticity of the hardware wallet. Um, and so that's uh, doing some cryptography where uh, the app will tell you if the hardware wallet that's it's connected to is actually authentic or not. I'm curious about that um, because the the ledger, that ledger situation, it seems like the malicious ledger and then getting hit with a phishing website is the is kind of the dominant issue there but i'm curious is you said that the usb uh allowed them to put keystrokes to to force keystrokes to the computer and open up a browser can you not can you not do that with a qr code no, I don't think that with QR code, that's that's feasible. I think that's only on the USB side. And uh, <clears throat> also, uh, yeah, I think people wanted to see this conversation becoming more and more debate debatable. So I'll mm -hmm. just throw a very like debatable question to Douglas, because I, I just shared the two cases. One is bad ledger. The other is put a flash drive in the in a ledger, so the ledger will like, will act like a USB driver to open a folder to ask the user to download the malicious ledger live when they connect the ledger to the laptop. So I just shared the two cases. Uh, I, I'm still wondering if Douglas can share any like real cases or any experiment that uh, the attack only happens on a QR code device, but not happen on a USB style device. Yeah, I'm really curious actually. Um, yeah, good question. So I think one of the things, I think we didn't do a good job when we wrote the blog in one aspect in the sense that um, the whole point of the blog wasn't to say that uh, QR codes are worse at security uh, by no means. Uh, and so the, the short answer to your question is no, uh, we don't see uh, or we haven't come across an attack that would apply only to uh, the QR code um, devices and not to USB devices. Uh, and so it was more so saying that, you know, uh, the security is more so um, uh, a lot closer 
than um, one having a greater security uh, compared to the other. Yeah, I think the uh, I did read that uh, uh, that post. Um, I had th- I thought about reading it on the show, but this kind of um, fills in the gap. Maybe maybe I'll do it uh, as a follow up or something to this uh, to this episode. But um, uh, the uh, I, basically what I got out of the article was the was ba- the, the general difference. Like like the main differentiator was really just one of bandwidth. Is that USB is something that has more bandwidth and more, uh, I guess, breadth of communication. Whereas uh, QR code is a little bit, it's, it's low bandwidth, you know, it's, it's small chunks of data. Um, uh, and then same with, uh, well, actually micro SD card really is not a whole lot different because um, uh, you can, you know, it's got its own firmware on it and micro SD card can have a whole lot of data on it too. So, um, Maybe, maybe really the the visual versus the USB might be the big differences when it comes to bandwidth. Um, but uh, um, at least, Sheen, I'm I'm still curious about that QR code thing because the that attack with Ledger, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, um, has uh, like when I scan a QR code with my phone, it immediately comes up and asks me like, "Do you want to open up this website?" Um, and I kind of feel like if somebody's getting a website thrown at them through mm-hmm. a USB or a QR or a micro SD that they plug into, like if they don't know that they should not just have a website be thrown up at them and then start downloading things, mm-hmm. I feel like if they get one on a QR code, they're going to just click it the same. You know, like I would know if I plugged in my ledger, my Bitbox, or scanned a QR code on my keystone, I would probably DM you. I'd be like, dude, this thing sent me to a website. Why? <laughs> like I yeah. would have to know why <clears throat> this thing didn't, but I feel like you could almost argue that that's a, uh, an ignorance of the user problem um, of just, because that is always an attack vector being sent to the wrong website. Um, I, I guess, I guess maybe, well, no, the, the USB is, I guess, shortcutting it, right? It's fewer steps because the ledger yes. can actually in- initiate the whole website, whereas you at least have to confirm it when you get it through a QR code. Um, but it does seem like a kind of nuanced or, or subtle difference. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, uh, here, I really wanted to echo your, uh, your saying that uh, if you see something like looks malicious, you can DM me but for a noob or a for an average user, uh, they don't have this kind of sensitivity about security, and uh, they don't have the. They even don't follow me on Twitter, so it's very hard for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very hard for us, like our wallet designers. We really need to put those noobs into our mind when we design the product. And uh, here to answer your question, uh, I don't think. Uh, because I I have I think I have some limited knowledge about security and technology, but from my perspective, QR code even with QR code, you cannot do that with open. You 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 might, but you have to if you wanted to use QR code to open a website, you have to confirm that on your on your laptop uh, that you are opening a new, new website. 
And here, I also want to emphasize that with macOS SD card, it's also possible because uh, if you search for keywords like macOS SD card attack, you will see a article uh, written by someone called Bunny. He is a very famous uh, white hat hacker based in Singapore. Uh, he wrote an article about hacking the macOS SD card. So the basic um, the basic situation is that all the macOS SD card, they also have a small chip in the card. So it's possible to like implant some kind of malicious code or some kind of malicious software into the chip of the macOS SD card. But it's, again, it's much harder to do so on a USB style hardware wallet because the micro SD card chip is very small. It has small RAM and it also has, uh, you need to be very, very sophisticated hacker to hack the micro SD card to uh, to send some like keystrokes to the laptop or something like that. It's possible, but it has a much higher attack cost uh, for, the, for the hacker. Yeah. And uh, here I also, want to share another, I think maybe not many people has shared that before, but uh, when we trying to find a hardware wallet or when we're trying to build up our uh, financial sovereignty solution to store your Bitcoin, uh, we can also think about it from a, a hacker perspective. So from a hacker perspective, the, the thing is very simple. So they just calculated the Attack costs, uh, attack cost versus the uh, the profit that they can gain from the attack. So, uh, so for example, if I were a attack an, an attacker, and uh, if I have some time and I have some budget to hack Bitbox or hack Keystone, obviously, I'm going to hack something which is easier to hack. So, which means. It's possible that uh, for, uh, for QR code, it's possible to send something to the laptop and open a website. And also for the USB, it also possible, it's also possible to hack it to open a website. But from me, from a hacker's perspective, it's easier to trigger people to open that website because uh, the user doesn't need to confirm anything. And with that being said, my attack cost is lower to attack user. So the calculation is really simple. For example, I deliver that like malicious firmware to 1,000 Keystone users and also to 1,000 big box users. So in the big box users, there may be like 500, but for like Keystone, there are like 200 people open the website. But for big box, maybe 500 people uh, got tricked and opened the website and downloaded the malicious software. So this is very a simple calculation for a hacker. So from this perspective, hacker always choose a easier a easier way to hack the people, and that's why there are a lot of websites like asking people to directly input their recovery phrase. From our perspective, those websites are like a dumb; they are very stupid. But for those hackers, those websites has no cost and they can just it works. a lot of people yeah yeah it works, it works. it's it works. crazy it, yeah, works. it works yeah. yeah it works on the noobs but it costs less but it has a less possibility for the people to input but the cost is also very low so when we were when we we're trying to design a hardware wallet or if we we're a user when you're when we're trying to design our 
methods to store Bitcoin, we can also stand on the hacker's perspective to see how the hacking happens and what's the cost of the hacking and what's the outcome or the profit of the hacking. So I think this is a new perspective for us to see security and to see hardware wallet and also to review our own like Bitcoin storing methods. Yeah. Well, I want to, um, we actually got someone who, who uh, uh, requesting here. So uh, let's get on to questions here in just a minute, but I just want to let uh, Douglas respond to that since we introduced a new thing here. Yeah, I'll be quick. I think it's nice to, to get on to questions, but uh, it just reminded me of um, a conversation earlier where you asked like, where are people actually losing funds? And I think uh, in terms of costs, cost benefit analysis for a hacker, uh, we get vastly more people trying to hack our users through our Telegram channel <laughs> than anywhere else. Try it, basically impersonating us and trying to get people to, you know, some social engineering to trick them into giving up their seed. Gotcha. Yeah, and that makes sense. It it still seems like <laughs> in the context of like a hacker cost, the the attack vector is to just ask people to put in their seed phrase on a website. Exactly. <laughs> because apparently people do it. Um, but uh, uh, let's get a... Uh, uh, oh, man, the I think the guy just dropped out who would ask. All right, well, let's just uh, head on to questions. Does anybody want to ask any questions here about AirGap, about hardware wallets, about Keystone or Bitbox, whatever we got? All right, while we're, we're waiting for um, uh, anybody or maybe that other guy to uh, pop back up here, I wish I'd... Uh, I hit him before he uh, <clears throat> rolled out. Um, uh, what is uh, uh, what for Bitbox or Keystone? Maybe maybe we'll go back to Alishin here. Um, what's the biggest area of uh, user uncomfort? Not not in the context of like the the earlier comment of like oh they're they're nervous when they're breaking out their wallet, but. Let's say, let's say if you had to pick the thing that you have to have in the keystone that you wish you didn't have to have, um, that's important for security, like what would you change if you had a magic wand? No, oh, that's, a, that's a really, really good question. Actually, maybe I can answer this question from another perspective, which is uh, what is the most pain in the ass part of keystone? Yeah, so actually we receive a lot of complaints and also that's the biggest uh, uh, part for our customer service effort, which is uh, the firmware update. So uh, with Keystone, uh, yeah. because yeah, we don't have the USB port. So the firmware update is very cumbersome. It's not very convenient for the users. You have to download it from our, our website and then you need to put that in the root of the uh, micro SD card and then insert micro SD card. And here are some like other issues like our uh, our device can only recognize uh, FAT32 micro SD card. So if you have the wrong format <laughs> oh, micro SD card, yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. So I think this is like the, the trade-off. So uh, uh, Jameson Lab has a very strong uh very good presentation about security. So I still remember one of the key takeaways of that uh, presentation is that uh, security, uh, security and the convenience is like the two ends of the of the 
of the spectrum. And uh, if you want something really convenient, that must be not secure. And if you want something like the military style or like the the American Air Force like security, for example, you have to use something like with a 500 pages of user manual, something like that. And that's impossible for like uh, daily users. So security is also very, uh, is uh, and for us, like hardware wallet vendors, we are trying to find our balance between security and the convenience. And for our product, the, the worst part of the convenience convenience is the firmware upgrade. So if I have a magic wand, I can change anything, I will, I will just make the firmware upgrade more, uh, more easy. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. Got you. How much data is it? Maybe you can do it with QR codes. <laughs> yeah, actually, we were we were thinking about that, but it's really really hard because yeah, you it need to, seems like a challenge. Yeah, if you can send some like uh, code to the device, you still need to like compile that code on the device and kind of like magically insert that compiled like workings. Uh, binary stuff into the current application, which is almost impossible. Yeah. Um, uh, Douglas, same question to you with the Bitbox. If you had a magic wand, what's the thing that eats at you that you can't get rid of or that you feel like you can't change? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, I probably have to think a lot about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just looking at our, our support tickets, we actually, you know, the vast majority of our support tickets have nothing to do with the usability of the Bitbox. Um, and so it seems like we, maybe we hit a, hit something right there. Um, uh, yeah, especially, yeah. So the, we actually get complaints more so about um, uh, the accessories we supply when you buy a Bitbox. So we give you like, um, adapters. So it's, the Bitbox has a USB-C connector. It was designed so that you could plug it directly into modern phones. Uh, but we also give like a USB-C DA adapter, also an extension cable, uh, things like that. And um, yeah, it's different computers follow different USB standards and they have different uh, both logically and also physically. So the ports are a little bit different. So it's quite hard to get the the accessories exactly right, <laughs> interestingly enough. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't. What's the solution to that? QR codes, right? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go there because uh, yeah, I, I think even with um, you know, yeah, this is just a, a fundamental disagreement that Lishi and I will always have. Is that yeah, if we go to QR codes, I think you know the usability will be uh, sacrificed. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah. I, I mean, other than that, it'd be, I guess, education, you know, people understanding what a backup is, people understanding that, um, yeah, we have a micro SD card, not for um, communication with the computer, but solely for a backup. And so uh, if you, if, with Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, you only need to backup once, you never have to do it again. So people kind of um, struggle with that. They think they need to keep the, this micro SD card in all the time, every time they make a transaction so that the backup can be updated and things like that. Uh, and so probably some educational aspects around that. Yeah. Uh, I think actually Douglas brought a very good point, which is <clears throat> compatibility with mobile phones. So 
uh, here I wanna I wanna share it again that I'm from China, so I'm more familiar with the developing countries. And uh, if we go to see the numbers in the developing countries, uh, like countries in Southeast Asia and countries in Africa, uh, in those developing countries, uh, people have more uh, smartphones than their laptop. I think that that may sound ridiculous in the United States because everyone in the United States who has a smartphone has a uh, laptop, a Windows laptop or a MacBook. But in those developing countries, people are skipping the laptops and directly diving into the smartphones era for those developing countries. And if we wanted to bring those people, like people in El Salvador and the people in Africa, people in Southeast Asia, uh, we have to have something that's mobile friendly for the hardware wallet. And uh, I think that's also one of the key benefits of the QR code, uh, of the QR code hardware wallet. Yes. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because one of my only, uh, like, because I'll tell you my, you guys are actually my two probably go-to wallets. Um, like the Bitbox is the one I use most frequently when I'm just here in the studio because it is right here in my desk. And I have like all my USB and like gadgets and stuff. And you just plug that shit in and go and everything works. But I don't really have a camera. Like I have a webcam, but it's like annoying to try to use that, you know, like in this environment. But then when I'm on the go, because I have an iPhone as my main phone, um, uh, it's and, and actually it's really kind of an iPhone problem is they don't let you like their device, uh, external devices, uh, limitations or whatever, like a real pain in the dick and you can't do a whole bunch of stuff with it. Um, so I can't really use my Bitbox with my iPhone. Um, so I have my, uh, well, it used to be my Kobo, but now my, uh, the Keystone, um, is the one that goes best with mobile when I'm on the go when I have my iPhone. So it's interesting, like I, that's kind of how I have separated it in my mind as far as like roles is the Bitbox is my my desktop wallet and my uh, Keystone is the when I go to a conference or whatever and I need something that I can get to really quick and scan with my phone. Um, but uh, we actually have uh, Reardon up on stage. Uh, if you've got a question, man, what's up? Welcome, dude. Thank you. Yeah. I had kind of, well, I have one less technical question and maybe a very technical question, but the less technical one is, uh, given the the problems with firmware upgrades that a lot of hardware wallets have had, have you considered shipping devices that are firmware locked from the factory and cannot be upgraded without some kind of factory resilvering process? Yeah, actually, we were thinking about that, uh, but uh, that's very that's very risky. Uh, it's risky because uh, no one can promise that there's no bug. There's no bug-free software in this world. So uh, we have to somehow update the firmware uh, in some way. That's the first thing. And uh, the second thing is that we all know that uh, Bitcoin is developing. For example, right now we're developing the Taproot support on our Bitcoin-only firmware. And uh, if we have a like, kind of locked firmware in the device, then users, if users want to have the Taproot support, they have to buy another keystone 
from us. Mm, so we think the locked firmware is possible, and uh, I'm not sure how big is the market that people can buy another hardware wallet for every big update or big security fix like Taproot or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would add. So how we approach that, I, I think it's not that big of an issue, actually. How we approach it is um, you have a bootloader, uh, which is a small chunk of code that will load the firmware onto the device. And that we locked on. Uh, and so that needs to be very, very simple because it never changes. Um, and it, you lock that down very securely that it can't be changed. And then what we do is inside of that, we put in some um, public keys, uh, which means that when we send a firmware, we sign the firmware with our own private keys. And the bootloader will verify that the firmware is valid. And it's only going to load firmware that was um, signed by us. Uh, and so it's not going to be able to load any third-party firmware. Uh, even if you make one bit change, it's it's not going to load. Um, uh, and so I, I think in that way, you can have secure uh, firmware updates uh, and kind of uh, address this issue. Um, I, I'd also like to mention, uh, just uh, to clarify from, from the previous conversation, Bitbox does work really, really greatly with the Android. Uh, but like I said, it doesn't work with iPhone. Uh, and so I think uh, there, yeah, QR codes is a, a nice way to go if you want to use an iPhone. Gotcha, yeah. Um, the uh, firmware. Firmware is an interesting problem. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, like, kind of the, the idea of hardening firmware, um, like, it, it's something that, like, you know, I've tossed around in my mind, too, is, like, is that even possible? But it seems like, Bitcoin, I mean, you know, if you do that before PBST becomes even like a, like a main standard or whatever, like you don't know what people are going to use, thing, how people are going to interact with things in the future necessarily. And like, what is the dominant tool today or the dominant way to interact? You know, six months and a couple of clever coders or even just like some clever idea that gets dropped somewhere could completely change that. And, uh, you know, hardened firmware is a, is a, is a difficult one. Um, like, a, it seems like a, oh, it would be great to have, but I agree with, you know, both you guys that it's just not a, not really realistic or on the table. Um, the, the best you can do is just kind of secure and simplify the process of getting new firmware. Yeah, exactly. And it's like Lishin said earlier, um, that security is not a zero or one game. Um, you know, if people try hard enough, they're going to be able to find holes in basically anything. And so, yeah, you need to be able to uh, update to get around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, does uh, Do we have anybody else who wants to jump up and ask some questions? But hardware wallets, Keystone, Bitbox, AirGap. <laughs> um, all right, well... Uh, uh, let's get uh, let's get final thoughts. Um, uh, Lee Shane, let's let's start with you. Um, what's if you had to sum up the issue at hand and how important it is that people, particularly noobs, like like when people coming in here, like and they they need to get a perspective on this. Is this that important? Is this like a big issue? Like, like you know, uh, give us give us a couple minute summary here. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think I have shared this uh, in different podcasts and uh, uh, in different uh, tweets and articles. And also, I'm trying to share it to everyone I talk to about security, about how to uh, get your, how to store your Bitcoin security. So uh, maybe maybe this this statement is kind of against hardware wallet, but I still want to say it uh, is that hardware wallet is not your silver bullet for your Bitcoin security. It's not your silver bullet. And uh, your knowledge is your silver bullet for safely storing your Bitcoin, which means you need to not only buying hardware, hardware is not the most, most important thing, but the most important thing is to getting to know about Bitcoin, about all the logics about, for example, what's HD path and uh, what are the different types of the addresses and uh, how to safely store your recovery phrase. I think those questions and those knowledges are more important than the hardware world itself. So just just remember, if you have only one takeaway from this uh, Twitter space, is that um, choosing hardware wallet between QR code style or USB style is not that important. And uh, to arm yourself with some knowledge about Bitcoin, about security, that's the most important thing. And uh, yeah, USB style hardware wallet or QR code style hardware wallet is not your silver bullet. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with everything Lishin said. I think that's uh, really great. Um, I would say that um, hardware wallet manufacturer is part of our job, and I know Lishin is doing this. We want to do it also is to, uh, you know, try try to make it such that it's easier for people to get their head around uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a saying that, um, or this thought that uh, security and ease of use are kind of trade-offs, uh, but I think where hardware wallets can shine, and I think that statement's a false dichotomy, and I think hardware wallets can really shine by uh, trying to shrink that gap and make things actually both secure and simple. And I think um, um, I think the hardware wallet community as a whole is, is on that path. And uh, yeah, I would agree with Aishin. I don't, I don't think, you know, if you want to boost up your security, level up your security, 1000X, as Guy says, um, yeah, go for a hardware wallet. Um, just pick one and you're already going to be much, much better off. Yeah. And uh, my last point is uh, I just mentioned that knowledge is very, very important. And also uh, kudos to all the educators like uh, Gay Swan and also big shout outs to Gay Swan's, uh, Gay Swan's uh, YouTube channel and also his podcast. So I think everyone here should listen to that and uh, get more knowledge about Bitcoin and about security. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Appreciate that, man. Um, and, uh, I, I totally agree. Like when, when it comes to Lishan, you made a really good point on that was that the, the hardware wallet is not the end all be all. Um, just like both of you have said is that user error and just uncomfortable, like, like not being familiar with the process or the tools or what they are actually doing with the thing. Exactly is where the vast majority of problems occur. Um, and that knowledge is your best weapon. You know, if, if you understand the tools, you can use a mobile wallet more securely than 
uh, or in a, in a pretty secure fashion, if you at least know what is where you could likely get hit, what the important things to take care of are. Of course, you never want to put like life savings on a mobile wallet. But just in general, knowing something, like knowing the basic tools is without a doubt the best defense. And to get the best security on top of that, just get a hardware wallet. Get one that fits how you're going to use it. It fits into your environment. If, you know, if you're like me in the studio and you just, everything's like plug in, you know, get a bit box. If you're doing something on the go and you want to use it with your phone and you don't know if you're going to have an Android or iPhone, get a keystone, like, like just get yourself a solid hardware wallet and learn the basics, learn those, like, what is my seed phrase? How does this passphrase wallet work? Um, you know, what, what are, what are the basic attack vectors and the basic tools of Bitcoin, the system, and you're a million miles ahead of everybody. Um, and, uh, really is, it really is amazing. Education is 100% key. It's, it's the biggest attack vector is lack of familiarity. <laughs> um, but uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for this. This was this was a good time. Uh, always love to get a chance to sit down and chat with both of you guys. Like I said, love both the products. I don't really have much of a uh, lean one way or the other. Um, and that's why I was I was glad to get get you guys in the same room and uh, see how y'all's perspectives are and uh, visions for the solutions to this problem are. Yeah. Th thanks a lot, Guy. Thanks a lot, Li Xin. Um, yeah, and I, I would add for the audience, uh, if you're interested in learning more, one of the best ways to do it is check out Guy's podcast. It's awesome. Um, and yeah, thank, thank you both. Uh, thank everyone who uh, came to listen. Um, and yeah, and this isn't the end of our conversation. So uh, keep, keep following both of us, our companies on, on Twitter. And uh, I think there'll be a lot more interesting things. Um, to hear about in the future yeah yeah thank you thank you so much for inviting me douglas and thank you guy for being the host and uh, for those great questions and uh yeah thank you everyone for listening and uh, my twitter handle is bitcoin leasing and we are keystone and the keystone twitter handle is keystone wallet you can follow us and uh yeah and also uh happy christmas in advance yeah thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> awesome guys thanks a lot yeah definitely follow these guys and keep up with the products and the stuff they're building it's it's really astonishing how far we have come with hardware wallets like when i look back five six years and now like the the number of options and the ways that i get to use it it's really it's really kind of amazing so um thank you guys for all the work you guys have done and for you know keeping my bitcoin safe Jesus. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so much. thank you. Thanks, everyone. All right. Yep. Later, bye -bye. guys. Bye-bye. Man, that was intense. We barely made it out with our lives on that one. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. You know, I don't usually... I feel like I don't usually dig into hardware wallets and the like, security specifics on this show a lot. I, I tend to talk about philosophy economics and like kind of big picture stuff um so i'm really glad we did this 
And that both Lee Sheen and Douglas were on board to have this discussion. And I, I've always felt the like the real takeaway from everything I find with hardware wallets is to just get one, get the one that works for you. And more importantly than anything, learn how to use it, what it is doing for you. Learn the fundamentals of hardware wallet security, what not to do, what to do, what the different pieces of the little security puzzle are. And it's not that intimidating. It's like, I know it can seem uncomfortable um, just because it's unfamiliar, but don't be intimidated. It's really fun and it is not that hard once you kind of get past those first few barriers. And, and these devices in particular, um, they're great at making it intuitive, making it a, a just a few step process to getting to the wallet to to a place to secure your Bitcoin. And like they both said, understanding the basics really is the best thing you can do for your the safety of your Bitcoin so that you're not left in the dark. You know what not to click on. Um, you know to never put your seed phrase into a browser plugin or a website or really into a computer ever. There's just no reason for it. Don't do it. Um, but but uh, with that... Uh, a huge thank you to Lee Sheen and Douglas for joining me here. And let's close this out thanking our sponsors, the Fold Card, the Bitbox Hardware Wallet from Shift Crypto, Swan Bitcoin for the Automatic Stack, and the Bitcoin 22, uh, 2022 conference for making Bitcoin Audible the project that keeps me fed, puts presents under the tree, helps me stack sats in all the ways, and keeps that shit safe for me. And so I can travel all over and meet all of you amazing Bitcoiners and the super special Audionauts who are better than normal Bitcoiners. I'm sorry, but it's true. The Audionauts are where it's at. Um, I'll catch you guys on the next one. Probably dropping tomorrow. I've got a couple of great reads. I've been working on like three or four at once lately. So lots of stuff coming soon. Uh, happy holidays, you FOMOsexuals. May many hashes be with you. May Satoshi bless you. And may Bitcoin Audible be among your subscribed podcasts. Until next time, I am Guy Swan. Take it easy, bitches. You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.